Solomon explored the things the world has to offer in order to see what was in them. And he did. And at the end of the day, he saw. Don't even bother. Don't even go there. Don't waste your time, talents, or treasure. It's vexation of spirit. It's vanity. I did uh, an internet study, kind of a survey, recently asking the question, what do people want most in life? And almost every website that I pulled up listed happiness at the top of the list. I guess that's no surprise. I think it's generally true for most people. In one way or another, they want to be happy. It seems to me that people in general have a big hole in their mental, emotional, spiritual lives, and this hole makes them feel unfulfilled and unhappy. And none of us like that feeling. And so what we tend to do is we tend to look around at other people that look to be happy, and we try to figure out what's making them happy. How come they're fulfilled? Whatever they got, we figure we must need the same thing. Now other people have things. And so we go out and buy things, thinking and hoping that these things will make us happy. Now is there anything wrong with having things? The answer is no. In itself, there's nothing wrong with having things. We look around and we see some people get married. So we've we figure, well, we need to get married thinking and hoping it'll make us happy. Is there anything wrong with getting married? I sure hope not. I don't think there's anything wrong per se in getting married. Now, there's always exceptions, right? You can always correct me with a, an exception here or there. But as a rule of thumb, there, there's nothing really wrong with things or getting married. Well, what about jobs? Some people have jobs. They seem to be very happy. So we go out and get a job thinking and hoping that it'll make us happy. Is there anything wrong with getting a job? I don't think so. I think it's very biblical that we, we work. I think that's proper. It sure beats being a couch potato. Well, other people, they try to win the lotto. They play the lotto and they try to win the lotto, uh, thinking and hoping that it will make them happy. Now, is there anything wrong with having money? No, nothing wrong with having money. Is there anything wrong with playing the lotto? Well, maybe. Maybe that one is a yes. I'm not a fan of the lotto. However, something to bear in mind, that all of the things and married life and jobs and money, they will all come with burdens and maintenance and worries and responsibilities. You don't get one without the other. Just about anything you can think of in life has some hidden maintenance and problems connected with it. Uh, these uh, worries and responsibilities eventually eat away at any happiness that these things gave us. And now, all of a sudden, that big house or that fancy car we bought isn't not giving us the joy like it used to. Now, what some people do to fix the problem is they go out and they buy a bigger house. Or they'll go out and they'll buy a, a more fancy or exotic car. And again, it'll only last a while. Some people do this with their love relationships. And they'll fall in love with someone. But it'll only last for so long, be it a week, a month, a year, a few years. And then the joy is gone. 
there's used to be a, a singer, and a, he was a guitar player and a singer, very, very famous. And he used to sing this song, The Thrill is Gone, talking about his relationship that he was in with, uh, with someone. And so what these people will tend to do is go out and find someone new to love. And it becomes kind of a vicious cycle. A similar truth is with money. Many people sacrifice everything they have in order to make lots of money. And many of them actually do make lots of money. But they learn in the end that they're still empty. Their lives are still uh, empty and there's no happiness. So, now, here, listen. When you and I begin experiencing sorrow and emptiness for too long, everyone experiences sorrow and emptiness at some point. But when we start experiencing it for too long, it's a sign. It's like a red warning light. It's a sign that either we've lost our joy or we never really had it in the first place. And so today, I'd like to speak with you about how to be happy. And I think you may be surprised at some of the things the Bible has to say on this. So let's begin with a word of prayer. Our Father, once again, we bow before you and ask that you would teach our hearts. So often we have un unhappy lives, unfulfilled, empty, void. Um, our hearts, our homes, sometimes our jobs, sometimes everything we have. And we're so disillusioned at times. So help us, please, to learn how to be happy. Lord, if there be one here today who's not yet met the Savior Jesus, or perhaps they're watching online from home, help them by faith to reach out to this wonderful Savior. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, um, I'd like to... Uh, sort of take the word happiness or happy and the word joy and kind of use them interchangeably today. I know, I know there's a difference between the two of them. I understand that. One is based upon things that can happen to you. Uh, that's the happy one. I, I understand that there's a difference, but just for semantics, I'm going to use them sort of interchangeably today. Now, unhappiness has been around a long time. And in my studies, I've traced it right back to the Garden of Eden when Eve decided that she couldn't really be happy unless she had some of that forbidden fruit. And so she took and she ate. Now Adam, who was standing right there, he knew what she was doing. He wasn't fooled. He, he knew exactly what was happening. But I think that he decided right then and there he couldn't be happy without Eve. I mean, there was only her. There wasn't any other... Eve out there. So that was it. And I kind of think that may have been one of his reasons why he took and ate the fruit as well. Anyhow, we could be here all day arguing it. The problem is, it happened. And as a result, there are a lot of happy, unhappy people in the world today. This is where we're at, folks. We've got a strange world out there. And you know it. If you've been watching the news, what's happening between Russia and Ukraine? Any happiness going on there? Not much. Hmm? You all know what's happening with Russia and Ukraine? 
Uh, curious, how many aren't sure what's happening with Russia and Ukraine? Put up your hand. Okay, well, we're talking World War III. Uh, Russia is camped at Ukraine's border, and uh, this has really captured the eyes and the minds of the political leaders all around the world. Canada's gotten involved there as well. So we don't know what's going to happen. But uh, I, I haven't seen it this close. I don't know, maybe the um, Cuban missile thing back in the 60s. I was just a little boy back then. But uh, man, I think we're on the doorstep. Now, it may not go through. It may quell. But, oh, I've never seen it like this. Iran is now pretty much nuclear-powered. They've said for years and years and years, if they ever get a nuclear bomb, they're going to drop it on Israel. And the world powers are about to sign some kind of treaty of sorts with Iran that is, is not a good treaty, <laughs> in my opinion only. But you get the idea? The, the, this is the world. The world. There's not a lot of happiness. And the price of gas? I don't mean to discourage anyone. But I just saw a week ago, the experts are saying in the United States, the price of gas is going to go up to $7 a gallon. Right now, it's somewhere around 3 or below 3 So what's that going to do to the price of gas in Canada? I drive a car with eight hungry cylinders under the hood. I can't keep that thing fed. It's worse than when I had teenagers. Huh. But we live in an unhappy world today. That's all I'm saying. And many people in the world today are trying to fix that problem in their lives. They're trying to fill the void, the unhappy, empty void, with things and with food. Some people, when they get unhappy, they go right to the refrigerator. There is a little bit of joy, you know, in that. I, I, there is a little bit of joy, happiness in any of these things. But people will go to um, sometimes other experiences They'll look for wild, thrilling experiences to help them feel happy. Some people will get involved with uh, narcotics and alcohol and drugs and things like that to try and smother and try and give them that euphoric feeling, some kind of happiness. Now, um, Jared Kuyper is a good Christian friend of mine. And this week, for some strange reason, the Lord laid on his heart to send me the following story. Jared had no idea what I was speaking on. But out of the blue, he sent me this story and uh, in the email he said, I thought you might find it interesting. Well, it is interesting because it's exactly what I'm talking about. Apparently, a researcher named Tim Kasser, K-A-S-S-E-R from Knox College, that's down in the United States, has extensively studied how buying things affects the human psyche. His research found that those who are more materialistic tend to have more depression, low self-esteem, antisocial behavior. They also had more headaches, backaches, and sore muscles, and sore throats, according to his research. Now, before you start thinking, <clears throat> you know, and ooh, before you do any of that, just, you know, let's listen to the rest of it. In his Knox College bio, Kasser said, my colleagues and I have found that when people believe materialistic values are important, they report less happiness and more distress. They have poorer interpersonal relationships, they contribute less to the community, and they engage in more ecologically damaging behaviors. The study evaluated people 
uh, evaluated people who were paid, P-A-I-D, money, paid after doing an activity they previously reported enjoying. People who were not paid reported enjoying the activity more than those who were paid. That's interesting. Kasser found that people who tended to be more materialistic were more likely to buy and spend more money on items that only bring fleeting happiness. And when that joy is gone, they're left with a huge credit card bill. He finishes the article saying, remember, spending money isn't a bad thing. It just matters how. I thought that was very interesting. And it was very interesting that the Lord laid on his heart to send me that article this week. Well, I think there are a lot of people in the world that are trying to fill the unhappy side of life using other people and money and things and experiences in order to take away their sense of unhappiness or at the very least to dull, to dull it. But the major problem with using things to make us happy is that normally happiness wears off. And so whatever you did to give you that feeling, you got to go out and do it again. That's a problem. You guys either have to get more or you have to get newer things. Now an example, that car you bought a year ago, two, three years ago, and you had that joy first getting behind the wheel and driving it around and feeling so good and listening to the, uh, the engine purr. If you ever bought a new car, it has that new car smell to it. That doesn't last. You know, after a year, that, that smell is gone. Maybe you've got your first dent. Someone maybe keyed, you know, your car. Maybe you bumped into something or someone. And you came home and all of a sudden you said, hey, where did I get that uh, wheel rash? That's what they call it when you rub too close to the, the curb. You get this wheel rash, these scratching marks there. Ah, you say, or maybe someone bent your antenna, right? You get the idea. That car you bought that gave you that, that thrill is not going to give you that thrill a year, two or three years from now. It won't. And so what you've got to do is you've either got to improve that car, put a bigger engine and a turbo under the hood or something, you know, so you can get 900 miles an hour, or you've got to go buy a new car. And this is the constant problem with using things. And so it ends up being a constant cycle over and over. We always need more things or we need newer things. Now, drug addicts, they get their their first whiff or their first taste or their first shot or something, and boy, they're all over the ceiling with euphoria. But then they come down. And normally, the next time, they have to get just a little bit more. And the next time after that, just a little bit more. That's the problem, right? And before they know it, the drugs are in control of them. They aren't in control of the drugs anymore. Same thing, of course, with alcohol. Same thing with shopaholics. Well, there's a $10 word, shopaholics. When the going gets tough, the tough go shopping. And there are some people that are very good shopaholics. Other people just like to window shop. It's cheaper. It was uh, John D. Rockefeller, who in his day was the wealthiest person in the world. Today, I believe, estimates put his wealth in around $500 billion. So they tell me that's a lot of money. And so 
he was asked by the, the press. They were, whenever you go outside, you know, the newspapers, the paparazzi would always be there around John D. Rockefeller. And someone asked him, Mr. Rockefeller, how much money do you have to have? How much is enough? And Rockefeller, you know, he, with a grin, he said, just a little bit more. Just a little more. Isn't that the way it is? Just a little more. That job you got, the salary you got, first day you were so happy to walk in to your office, sit down at your cubicle. The first week or two, you were so happy to get your paycheck. Well, after a year or two, that paycheck, now, hmm, you don't think you're being paid enough. You think you need a little more. And that's human nature. Most people are like that. When was the last time you ever even heard of someone who, when the boss came and said, I'm going to give you a raise, they said, Boss, I got enough. Give the raise to someone else who needs it. I got my needs looked after. When was the last time you even heard of someone doing that? It's been a while. Human nature. We always seem to want a little more, a little more, a little more. And with many people, it actually happens. They get to a point in life that no matter how much more money they get, they're still not happy. They got... Ten cars in the driveway, an eleventh car is not going to bring them happiness. And so many people are like that. Now Solomon, he set out to get everything he desired. Anything and everything. But in the end, he found he was unhappy and unfulfilled. I want to read this for you out of Ecclesiastes chapter 2. Solomon wrote, I said in mine heart, Go to now, I will prove thee with mirth. Therefore enjoy pleasure. And behold, this also is vanity. I said of laughter, it is mad, and of mirth, what doeth it? I sought in mine heart to give myself unto wine, yet acquainting my heart with wisdom, and to lay hold on folly, till I might see what was that good for the sons of men, which they should do under the heaven and all the days of their life. I made me great works. I builded me houses. I planted me vineyards. I made me gardens and orchids, orchards. I planted trees in them of all kinds of fruits. I made me pools of water to water therewith the wood that bringeth forth trees. I got me servants and maidens and had servants born in my house. Also I had great possessions of great and small cattle, above all that were in Jerusalem before me. That would include his father, David, King David. I gathered me also silver and gold, and the peculiar treasure of kings and of the provinces. I got me men singers and women singers, and the delights of the sons of men as musical instruments, and that of all sorts. So I was great and increased more than all, that were before me in Jerusalem. Also my wisdom remained in me. And whatsoever mine eyes desired, I kept not from them. I withheld not my heart from any joy, for my heart rejoiced in all my labor, and this was my portion of all my labor. Then I looked on all the works that my hands had wrought, and on the labor that I had labored to do, and behold, all was vanity and vexation of spirit, and there was no prophet under the sun. Isn't that amazing? Now I ask myself, did Solomon really make this idiotic mistake 
in trying to find joy and happiness in things? Could he really have made a mistake like that? Did he really expect to find joy in the things of the world? And I'll be honest with you, I I give Solomon more credit than that. I think that Solomon, now this is my opinion, but I think that Solomon was wiser than making that foolish mistake. Then why did he do it? I think Solomon explored the things the world has to offer in order to see what was in them. And he did. And at the end of the day, he saw, don't even bother. Don't even go there. Don't waste your time, talents, or treasure. It's vexation of spirit. It's vanity. It's not going to help you. Now, in Nehemiah chapter 8, Brother Howard led us in the reading of verses uh, 9 to 12. This chapter comes right on the heels of the chapter 6, the finishing of the, the walls. This was a major important step for Jerusalem. The walls are all destroyed. Nehemiah came and in 52 days, a miracle happened. And they had the walls all completed and the gates in there and everything. And then they had revival. Folks, that's what the works of the Lord should always accomplish in our hearts, our lives, in our church, is revival. We are interested in revival. And chapter 8 is all about revival. They experience revival. And uh, boy, I tell you, there was revival had that day. Those people, they, they worshiped the Lord with all their hearts and they heard the Word of God preached. And in the Word of God, they learned the things that they weren't doing, they should have done. And so it broke their hearts and they were going to weep. And they were told, no, don't weep. Don't be sor- sorrowful. This is a good day. It's a happy day. And then verse number 10. He said, Go your way. Eat the fat, drink the sweet, and send portions unto them for whom nothing is prepared. That's gift giving, by the way. For this day is holy unto our Lord. Neither be ye sorry. Now in your Bible, I want you to take out a pen or pencil and underline these words. For the joy of the Lord is your strength. And so, my beloved, in order to become a happy person and to live a happy life, may I recommend to you the Lord Jesus Christ. The man or woman who has learned this secret finds that Jesus can and will give them happiness. This is why we sing songs in church like the joy of the Lord is my strength. Now do you know where that's found in the Bible? Who can tell me the name of the book? Nehemiah. And who can tell me the chapter of Nehemiah? Chapter 8. And who can tell me the verse in Nehemiah? Verse 10. Nehemiah 8 verse 10. The joy of the Lord is your strength. We turn it into a song. Why? Because it's true. The joy of the Lord is your strength. It is my strength. And that's why we sing songs like, There is joy in serving Jesus. That's a great hymn. We love that one. We sang one this morning, a nice chorus. Happiness is to know the Savior. That's a really nice one. Uh, At Christmas time, Joy to the world, the Lord is come. There's the joy again. 
And again, another one, joyful, joyful, we adore thee. Boy, there's, there's a number of hymns that talk about joy. Now someone might say, well then why am I not joyful? How come I'm not more happy? Well, that's why we want to talk about this today. If you are a born-again Christian, let me ask you, are you experiencing the joy that only Jesus can give? Are you experiencing more joy in your life than sorrow? Now, uh, I'll tell you, there's a legitimate place in life for sorrow. It has its place. But there ought to be more joy, much more joy than sorrow. Sorrow ought to be the smaller part and joy ought to be the bigger part in your life and mine. It's very true. Um, why don't I experience more joy? If you're a born-again Christian, it might be, it could be, because you have left your first love. And your first love is Jesus. And if you've left Him behind, you're not going to have the joy that He can give. Well, allow me please to explain how this should happen. Point number one, three-point sermon. Point number one, there is joy in seeing Jesus. I'd like you to take your Bible, please, and turn to the New Testament, Gospel of Matthew, chapter number 17. Matthew 17, this is the story of when Jesus took three of his disciples, Matthew, uh, Mark, John, let's see, Peter, Peter, James, and John. <laughs> Funny when you get tongue-tied like that. Uh, Matthew 17, there we go. And the three of them, went with Jesus up this mount, which we know as the Mount of Transfiguration. And so they saw Moses, and they saw Elijah, and they saw Jesus talking with them. And Peter, of course, said, oh, well, it's good that we should be here. Let's build three tabernacles, one for you, Jesus, one for Moses, one for Elijah. You know the story. And how all of a sudden, this big cloud came over top of them. And um, they got scared. And the voice of the Heavenly Father said, this, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Hear ye Him. That's in verse 5. And so anyhow, the, the cloud goes away. And I want you to see uh, verse 8. These three disciples. And when they had lifted up their eyes, they saw no man save Jesus only. You see this? They saw Jesus. Now this is not the point where Peter, James, and John got saved. But it kind of illustrates what happens when someone does get saved. It's like by faith they can see Jesus. It's a wonderful moment, a wonderful day when someone comes to know Christ as Savior because kind of in their mind's eye, invisibly, it's almost as if they see Jesus. In John chapter 12 and verse 21, some Greek men came to one of the disciples and they, they said to him, Sir, we would see Jesus. There is joy in seeing Jesus. Listen, if you're here and you're born again, you're saved, you know you're saved, you know when you got saved, do you remember the joy you had when you got saved? Because I remember the joy I had on that happy Sunday, April the 6th, 1975, when by faith I saw Jesus and I repented of my sins and gave myself to Him, asking Him to forgive my sins and be my Lord and Savior. He came into my heart I jumped to my feet. 
I had come forward down the aisle on the invitation. And I jumped to my feet. I was so excited. I found him. I found him. I found Jesus. That's just what it felt like. That joy, wow, I'll never forget that joy I had in seeing Jesus. John Newton was a pastor and a great hymn writer. And he wrote about the time when he came to know Jesus. And he came to see Jesus, as it were. And he wrote about it in a hymn called Amazing Grace. And in that hymn, he said these words, I once was blind, but now I see. And that's exactly the truth. Before April the 6th, 1975, it was like I was blind. I couldn't seem to find Jesus. I would read the Bible and it wouldn't make much sense. After I met Jesus, all of a sudden, I could understand the Bible. And it's like I could see for the first time. And that is an experience you'll find many, many, many Christians will tell you exactly the same thing. It's as if they had been blind, but now they can see. Amazing grace, isn't it? Everyone who truly gets saved knows the joy there is in first coming to know and to see Jesus as Savior. I ask you this today, my friends. Do you know the joy? Do you know the joy in seeing Jesus as your Savior? An evangelist that I heard about, another evangelist I know, he's actually gone to heaven now, but he told me about this evangelist. I heard about this evangelist who seemed to have the gift of knowing what to say at any given moment. He was once in a restaurant and he went to use the men's room and as he walked in, there sitting on the floor was a drunk nursing a bottle of whiskey. And he looked at the man and walked past and started washing his hands. But he couldn't help stop looking at this man on the floor and the drunk looked up and said, what are you looking at? And the evangelist says, oh, nothing. And he kept washing his hands. The drunk held up the bottle toward him and said, well, have a drink. Now, what would you have said? This evangelist, he looked at the man and said, no thanks, I already had one. And the drunk said, well, have another, you can't fly on one wing. The evangelist said, well, the drink I had, you only need one. And the drunk looked at him and was puzzled. And he said, what kind of drink is that? That you only need one. And the evangelist, drying his hands, took out his New Testament and turned to John chapter 4. You remember the story of the woman at the well? And he explained to the, to the man, he said, Jesus said, Whosoever drinketh of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst. And the drunk said, let me see that. And he stood up and the, new, uh, the evangelist showed him in the New Testament where it was. And he gave him, he gave the man his New Testament. And the man was reading this. You know, he, he was holding it and he was reading it as he was walking out of the restaurant. Now that was a very smart piece of evangelism. I don't know if that drunk ever got saved. I hope he did. 
But what a wonderful way to introduce someone to Jesus. And when you meet Jesus for the first time, it's like the scales fall off your eyes. I can see, I can, I can see, I can't believe it. I can see, I can understand things now. And that's just the experience of everyone who's truly born again. So I ask you, do you remember the joy that you had when you first received the Lord as your Savior? Or have you left your first love? All right. I said, number one, there's joy in seeing Jesus. Number two, there's joy in serving Jesus. And for this, I'd like you to turn to the right to the book of Hebrews. After the Corinthians and the little letters, you'll get to Hebrews and find chapter number 12. Hebrews chapter 12. And we're just going to read just the first part of verse number 2. Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 2. Just the first part. Follow with me as I read verse 2. The first part. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. And so you see here we have looking or seeing Jesus once again. Now, folks, if you haven't Learn this by now. The devil is a liar. He is a trickster. He is a con artist. Sometimes you get a phone call on your cell phone and it's some recorded voice telling you you owe money to the, to the government and they're going to send police after you. Press, press number nine on your, your key. Don't press number nine. You hang up is what you do. These things are con artists and scam artists. You get an email from some prince over in Nigeria who unfortunately lost his kingdom, but he's got $20 million he needs to transfer to Canada. And he's chosen you. How many people fall for this kind of thing? It's crazy. That's why they keep doing it. And the devil, people fall for his tricks. That's why he keeps doing them. He's a deceiver, a trickster. He's not to be trusted. He's a con artist. He's a liar. And he tries to make you believe this lie. It's not worth serving Jesus. It's not worth it. It's not worth putting yourself out to serve Jesus or live for Him. All it's going to get you is a pain in the neck. Every good deed. Bang! You'll get whacked. Something, you know, the devil says, don't do it. Well, that's a lie. It's an absolute lie from Satan himself. I want you to know that there is great joy in serving Jesus. The Christians that I've noticed that are unhappy are the ones sitting off on one side doing nothing for Jesus. Sometimes they don't even go to church, read their Bible. Are they saved? Well, I think they are. I hope they are. But they're do-nothings. They're couch potatoes. And these Christians don't have joy. God does not give joy to bumps on the logs, to couch potatoes. God doesn't give joy to to Christians like that. But He'll give joy, a lot of joy, to Christians who are willing to live for Jesus. And there's all kinds of ways we can live for Jesus. You know that this is not a new problem. 
they were having this problem in the late 1800s and early 1900s. And a lot of Christians were being challenged in their thinking by the devil that it's not worth serving Jesus. It's worth, you know, going to work and making more money. That's what's worth it. And so many Christians were falling for this. And so a hymn writer, his name was Frank Houston. In 1909, he wrote a hymn. And the hymn is entitled, It Pays to Serve Jesus. I'd like to read a few words of the hymn. The service of Jesus true pleasure affords. In Him there is joy without an alloy. Tis heaven to trust Him and rest on His words. It pays to serve Jesus each day. And the chorus. It pays to serve Jesus. It pays every day. It pays every step of the way. Though the pathway to glory may sometimes be drear, you'll be happy each step of the way. The truth is, there is joy in serving Jesus. The happiest people in the world are the ones living their lives for Jesus. Someone once said, the secret of true joy is in your priorities in life. What do you prioritize in life? And they took the word joy and they made a little acronym out of it. J stands for Jesus. You put Him first in your life. O stands for others. You put them next or second in your life. Now a lot of people, even Christian people, make this mistake and they put someone in place of Jesus. They put others first. Maybe it's a, a wife putting her husband before Jesus or a husband putting his wife before Jesus or parents putting their children before Jesus. What a mistake. Jesus goes first, others go second, and then the why. What does that stand for? Do you know? Yourself. J-O-Y. Jesus, others, yourself. And if you will follow that little formula, you'll be a happy person. You see, I want to introduce or reintroduce to you the Lord Jesus Christ. There is joy in seeing Jesus. If you're not saved, get saved. There is joy in serving Jesus. If you're sitting off to one side, don't. Get get on the battlefield for the Lord. Get in the service line for the Lord and start serving the Lord. Listen, sometimes we forget that Jesus really, honestly does want to give us joy and happiness. The Holy Spirit has been given to us and the Holy Spirit produces fruit in our lives. Do you remember what the first three things in Galatians about the fruit of the Spirit The fruit of the Spirit is what? Love, joy, peace. Love, joy, and peace. Sounds good to me. What do you think? How would you like a life full of that? You can have it. Jesus will give it to you. But you have to do it the Lord's way. Meet with Jesus every day. Ask Him to fill you with the Holy Spirit and joy as you serve Him. Because there's joy in serving Jesus. Quickly, point number three. There is joy in standing in front of Jesus. There is joy. And for this, we're going to go back to Matthew, chapter number 25. Matthew 25. Now, this is 
or should be a very familiar little passage. We're not going to read the whole passage. We're just going to read one verse. Matthew 25. Now, I want you to read this out with me, okay? Would you do that? Matthew 25 and verse number 21. Verse 21. Folks at home, you read it along with us, would you? Read it with us. Matthew 25, 21. Let's go. His Lord said unto him, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Thou hast been faithful over a few things. I will make thee ruler over many things. Enter thou into the joy of thy Lord. You know something? Whether we get to heaven by the kindly hand of death, or whether we get to heaven through the wonderful rapture of the Lord Jesus when he comes, either way, we are going to be very happy standing in front of Jesus. Imagine the joy of the men and women who in ages past have lived for Jesus and served him. And they've been standing in his presence now all these years. And the joy that they're experiencing. How about us? One day, if you're saved, you will stand before Jesus. You'll be standing before his smiling face. You see, if you're saved, you belong to him. And you will see his smiling face. If you're not saved, you will stand before Jesus much later, but it won't be a smile on his face. There won't be any smile on Jesus' face at that time as he has to send people to hell. But if you're saved, there's going to be a smile on your Savior's face as you stand before him. Oh, what joy is going to be ours when we stand before him. But folks, we're not there yet, are we? Not yet. Could be soon. We don't know. We're still here on earth right now. And the truth is, Jesus wants us to live happy lives. And so may I once again recommend to you that you make Jesus the center of your universe. Make Jesus the center of your life. Put him first in your life. And you can have that joy once again. If you're here and you've never known the Lord as Savior, what's keeping you back? All you need to do is recognize that your sin, your personal sin, has separated you from God. You're on your way to hell. That's where sinners go. If you don't believe God puts sinners into hell, you're not ready to be saved. You see, Jesus only saves sinners. That's the only people he saves. Well, I think I'm as good a man as the next man. And maybe you are. But you're not good enough for God. You're not good enough to get into heaven. And that next man that you're as good as, he's on his way to hell too. Jesus only saves sinners. Nothing keeping you back today from saying, Jesus, I'm the sinner. Me. I'm the one you died for. And if it weren't for your mercy and grace, I'd be in hell today. Jesus, I don't want to be separated from you. I want you in my life. I want you as my Savior. I want you as my Lord. I want you to help me with my life. I've made so many mistakes. Jesus, forgive my sins. Come into my heart now. Be my Savior. Take me to heaven one day. And you pray something like that, and you'll find Jesus will come into your heart. But if you're only playing games, 
You just only want Jesus just for a little fire escape, you know, out of hell. But you want to be a little clever devil and live your life, you know, your own way. It's not going to work. Jesus can see through your hypocrisy. He will not come into your heart. He will not forgive your sins. If I offended my wife, whom I love, we're coming up on 41 years married, folks, and four years of hot dating behind that. I shouldn't say it like that because it was good dating. If I offended my wife, I broke her heart, you know, I did something, I called her names, maybe I hit her and all that, broke her heart, she's in tears, and then I realize, boy, I shouldn't have done that. So I go to make things right. And she's still, you know, crying. She's not sure she wants to see me, let alone talk to me. And if I said to her, oh, honey, snap out of it, you know, I didn't mean it. Do you think she would accept that as a genuine apology? What do you think? Does that sound like I'm being sincere in my apology? Because it doesn't to me. But when I realize what I've done to that beautiful person, that wonderful girl who's given her life to stick around with someone like me, and I start to cry over what I've done, then she can see my broken heart, and that's when she'll forgive me. And when Jesus can see your broken heart over your miserable life, that's when he'll say, yes, I forgive you. And he'll come into your heart and be your savior and it'll work. That's what happened to me all those years ago. And I'm so glad he came into my life. And so I want to encourage each and every one, meet with Jesus every morning. Ask him to fill you with love and joy and peace. Worship Him. Live for Jesus every day. Now, I'm just about done. But before I finish, I just want to throw out this one last little item. If you're one of those people who always takes everything so seriously, you never smile, you're very serious, can I just lovingly say, loosen up a bit. Loosen a bit. You don't have to get all crazy, but just loosen a bit. Don't take everything so seriously. Give people the benefit of the doubt. Take some time to have some fun. Enjoy a little bit of life. Learn to laugh at your mistakes. Learn to live a happy life in Jesus. Well, folks, the joy of the Lord is your strength. Let's stand to our feet. We'll have a word of prayer. And I want to encourage you to come and talk with your Savior today and ask Him to fill you with joy. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes, please. Thank you for watching the message today. We invite you to join us again every Sunday and Wednesday for more inspiring messages from God's Word.